What do you do when life's not fair? When you've been waiting for so long to see a miracle happen, it looks like everything's falling into place and then bam, you're blindsided. What do you do when you wake up one day and things aren't the way they were supposed to be? What are you supposed to do when life is unfair? That's the story of Joseph. A famous boxer once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Isn't that true with life? That we all start off with plans. We all have dreams and then life happens. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. We can't control what happens to us, what people do to us, getting let go from a job for no reason at all, not getting the person that maybe we were believing God one day we could marry or not having children or whatever it is, getting hit with a a sickness or a disease, uh, getting hit in a car accident, all kinds of things that happen that we can't really count on. But what we can do is respond in a way that would bring God glory. The story of Joseph is really a story about how do you respond to unfair treatment in life? How do you respond to uncontrollable circumstances? For Joseph, he was hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, put in a, in a palace to serve in Potiphar's house and then wrongfully accused and convicted, thrown in prison that he would sit in there for years. Right now, I'm sitting in an old abandoned warehouse. It's dark, it's musty. There's bats somewhere over there chirping. I have no clue what's going on in here, but I can only imagine the dungeon that Joseph found himself in. It wasn't funny. In fact, it was devastating. Genesis 39 verse 19 says that when Joseph was serving in Potiphar's house, that the wife of Potiphar tried to seduce and tempt Joseph, but he refused to give into the temptation. Here, Joseph was trying to do the right thing. But even though he was trying to do the right thing, this woman didn't care about Joseph's destiny. She didn't care about his purity. In fact, she was so mad at him, she lied about him to her husband. Her husband didn't give Joseph even a chance to defend himself. Immediately, he was angry and he threw Joseph in this dungeon-like prison. It looked like all hope was lost for Joseph's dream. It looked like he he had taken even four steps backwards from already where he once was. But the dungeon that he was thrown in, it says in verse 20, happened to be the dungeon that belonged to the king of Egypt. The very dungeon that the king of Egypt would throw his specific prisoners that offended him personally. Joseph was one step closer towards his destiny. Nonetheless, Joseph would look around and realize this is such a negative environment. Have you ever found yourself in a negative environment, a place that you just go, God, can you get me out of here? But instead of God getting Joseph out of there, what God did was God used Joseph as a light in the darkness. And it says that God gave Joseph prosperity in the prison. Isn't it amazing that you can prosper even in a negative environment? See, when God's hand is on you, negative environments don't control your destiny. What others may do against you doesn't determine how you're going to be able to uh, uh, stand and prosper where God has you. And God caused Joseph to have prosperity. God gave Joseph favor with the other prisoners. God gave Joseph a prison ministry as a prisoner in this prison. But the prison would be longer than five years. 
And not only would he sit in this prison and, and see good things start to happen, but once again, he would be crushed and forgotten by those who were supposed to help him get out of the prison. How would Joseph handle the prison? How do you handle the prison sometimes in your life? My name is Mekanaka. I moved to Tulsa from Macon, Georgia when I was 19 to go to school at Oral Roberts University. When I moved here, I knew that I had um, physical gifts that I, and potential that I wanted to tap into. Uh, so I got the chance to try out for a semi-pro football team. Um, I made the team and um, my future was as bright as ever. I, the sky was the limit. One night in the game in Arkansas, on a play I've made a hundred times, I go to make the play and I make this tackle and something just doesn't feel right. I could tell that I was falling, but at the same time, I could not feel my body drop. And as they assessed the situation, I remember them saying things like C5, C6, and at that time not knowing what that meant. And I would later find out that they were referring to the level in which I had broken my neck. While I was in the hospital, I remember feeling somewhat relieved. I know that sounds weird, but you know, you just find out that you've broken your neck. That's a pit moment. But being in the hospital is a peak moment because when you're in the hospital, you know, you go to the hospital broken and you're supposed to get better. So for me, the hospital was more, again, like training camp. I was putting so much work in to be better because getting out of the hospital was going to be the light at the end of the tunnel. I was working hard in the pit to reach my peak. As they were telling me that I was ready to go back to my life, I, as I looked at myself, I didn't look better. I didn't feel better. I was supposed to walk out of the hospital, not be wheeled out of it. The next seven months would be the hardest months of my life because I was now asking myself questions of who am I? Where do I go from here? And I didn't know that, you know, my prison would be my body. You know, I found myself in the prison of my own body trying to escape that pit. So after seven months, I began serving in the youth group here. And what that did for me was that it, was, it allowed me to get my thought off of myself and put the focus on other people. And I realized that the talents that I had and the gifts that God had given me were not just gifts relegated to the football field, but they were a gift of speaking and the gift of connecting. You know, fast forward, you know, to today, and I've graduated with my undergrad degree and I'm now pursuing my master's degree. You know, I am, you know, in the career now of speaking and I get to share my story with youth and crowds and ladies at the grocery store and once I began to serve I got I served the youth group and I began to get involved in my community that's when I realized that even in my darkest moments that God was with me my future is as bright as it's ever been and I think what I've pulled away from Joseph's story is that when you begin to live in the vision of your life and not the circumstances you begin to create a future that is bigger than your past and for me that was the major thought that I had to overcome, that my best days were not behind me, but they were right in front of me. What was going on in Joseph's heart? 
What was going on in Joseph's mind? Can you imagine all the things he must have been thinking stuck in that prison? It says that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was offended at two of his top aides, the chief butler and the chief baker. The story goes along that these two men told Joseph, the reason why we're discouraged is that we both had a dream and we don't know what our dreams mean. One of them had a dream that didn't really make sense to him. It had something to do with uh, bringing a cup to Pharaoh and the other one had a dream about baskets on his head and, and birds eating from the baskets. But Joseph said this, Joseph said, God is the one who interprets dreams. Dreams belong to God. And today I wanna to remind you that your dreams belong to God. At the end of the day, continue to put your dream at the altar before God. Joseph could have said, yeah, I've had a dream too. I don't really care about yours. But Joseph was focused on serving them. So he helped fulfill their dreams by interpreting their dreams. He served them. For one of them, the fulfillment was gonna be a very happy uh, ending. He was gonna get promoted. He was gonna be put back in his place. He was gonna get to serve Pharaoh again. The other one, Joseph said, this is not gonna be good for you. In three days, you're gonna die. And sure enough, both of those dreams came to pass. The one man who dreamed that he would one day be back in Pharaoh's palace, it happened within three days. The other man was killed within three days. Joseph told that one man who would be promoted, the chief butler, he said, when you are promoted, please remember me. I was kidnapped. I was sold by my brothers. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm a Hebrew boy. Please remember me. I don't belong in this prison. I didn't commit this crime. But it says at the end of chapter 40 that the chief butler, when he was promoted, forgot all about Joseph. He had been forgotten by his brothers, forgotten now by the two people that he helped along the way in the prison. You can only imagine what he was thinking. God, have you forgotten about me? Like, have you forgotten about the dream you placed inside of me? I didn't do anything to deserve this. We don't really know what Joseph does during this time, but we know that once he's forgotten, it's two years before he's remembered again. Somehow Joseph held on to hope. How do we do that? How do we stay hopeful in hopeless situations, right? When things are starting to look up again, like Joseph had just interpreted these guys' dreams. He was thinking, man, this guy's about to get promoted in three days. Who knows, I might be out of here next week. I can only think about those times where maybe the day after the man was promoted, Joseph was just pacing back and forth in that prison cell going, I know he's gonna remember me. They're gonna be calling my name any second now. Maybe a few days pass by, come on, this is my day. He's been promoted now, it's been a week. One of these days he's gonna, they're gonna call my name. Then more weeks pass and more weeks pass, more months pass. Finally, Joseph realizes he forgot me. Here I tried to help him and, and he forgot me. I tried to do the right thing and things were looking up. And once again, hope is shattered. Joseph's story is up and down. It's, it's, it's a roller coaster. And that's why it's probably one of the most relatable stories in the Bible. Because our life, it's not always like this. It's like this and this, sometimes like this, and then sometimes down here. But you know what the constant was for Joseph and has to be the constant for you and me? Is that even though our lives might go like this sometimes, our trust in God can stay like this. 
And when your trust in God and your hope in the Lord stays constant, even through the ups and the downs, that's what keeps you together. See, if our hope is built on people and them remembering us, we're gonna be on a constant roller coaster of emotions along with the circumstances we're facing. If our hope is in the king of Egypt getting us out of here, if our hope is in the next president, if our hope is in our children finally coming back to church, our, 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 our one day finally meeting that person we're supposed to marry, if our hope is in finally seeing our dreams come to pass, then our hope is on a shakable foundation. But Joseph's hope was not in his dream. Joseph's hope was not in his brothers. Joseph's hope was not in the butler or the baker or the Pharaoh of Egypt. Joseph's hope was in a constant God who stands with him from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison and one day in the palace. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eight through nine says that we're hard pressed on every side, that we're constantly being persecuted. We're perplexed by all the negative things that are happening against us, but we don't lose heart. This was Paul the Apostle talking, and he was speaking to this church. He was saying, guys, you're not the first one who has encountered trials. You're not the first one who's been forgotten. You're not the first one who's faced unfair treatment from others. Paul says it, it happens to us all the time. We get knocked down, but he says we get back up every single time. One of the words that comes to my mind, which is found in the New Testament as a, as a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us, it's one of the fruits that we receive when we become Christians, and it's called patience. Another word for patience is long suffering, the ability to wait for something that you have been promised. I wanna give you just a few thoughts about how to handle your waiting season. I think for Joseph, he developed a positive attitude all along the way. I wanna challenge you to stay positive. No matter how negative things look, stay positive. Your attitude will determine your altitude. I also think Joseph continued to trust in the Lord. You know, trusting in God, it's a, it's a matter of the heart. It's not just about, you know, uh, saying it with your mouth, I trust in you, God, but it's in your heart, not allowing those thoughts, those beliefs, those things to, to pile up on top of your heart that make you feel bitter towards God or bitter towards other people or angry at life or hopeless about things. But you continue to remind yourself on the inside, no, no, God's with me, God's for me. Another thing I would challenge you to do while you're waiting, and that's choose to worship God with all your heart. That's what Joseph did. I believe Joseph made the most of the dark seasons in his life. He waited with a purpose. He became better at what God had called him to do. He kept a positive attitude. He kept trusting in the Lord. He kept worshiping God, even though circumstances seemed to grow worse. And over time, his breakthrough was coming. Genesis 41, we see that God gave a dream to Pharaoh. And the day came where Pharaoh called Joseph out of the prison. After all of the betrayal, the pain, and the tragedy, Joseph's day of breakthrough was finally here. Ecclesiastes says that God makes everything beautiful in its time. In other words, God sees the big picture that we don't see. Joseph had to stay faithful to God. In Genesis 41 verse one, it says, after two years of Joseph sitting in prison, finally, Pharaoh had this dream 
we know Joseph was one of the guys in the story who knew how to interpret dreams. Pharaoh not only had this dream once, but he had this dream twice. And this dream was so disturbing, he didn't know what to do about it. Now remember, Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. For us, they'd be like the president of the United States. But in that time, there was no other empire as big as Egypt. They were it. There was no Rome or Babylon or, or any other big city. I mean, Egypt was the top empire and Pharaoh was the top leader. So here he goes looking in the land for someone to interpret his dream. He gets all of his top educated officials, his you know, great political leaders. He says, guys, here's what I've been dreaming. I don't know what to do about it. It disturbs me. I think it has something to do with, with my life and with our country. What am I supposed to do? And they said, we have no clue. Like, this is beyond our pay grade. This is beyond our education. We don't know how to interpret dreams. And in that moment, the butler who was serving Pharaoh, this was the guy who had been thrown in prison years ago, who had forgotten all about Joseph. All of a sudden, he remembered. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. <sighs> Pharaoh, I met this guy in prison. He's, he's a young Hebrew boy. He's not from around here. He wasn't educated at the schools of, of Egypt. He doesn't know what we believe and why we believe what we believe, but he knows how to interpret dreams. He interpreted my dream and it came to pass. He interpreted another man's dream that you fired and that man's dream came to pass. And I think he knows how to interpret your dream. The Bible says that your gift will make room for you before kings and princes, rulers and authorities. In other words, when God gives you a gift and you cultivate that gift and you get better at that gift, man, God's gonna open up doors that you can't even imagine would be open. God's gonna place you before presidents and kings and senators and congressmen and CEOs. God has his hand on your life. I'm speaking to you right now, right where you're sitting. God's put a gift inside of you that God wants to use to bring glory to him and he'll put you in front of influential people not for your glory, not so that you look great, but so that you can say, this is from God. That's exactly what God did for Joseph. In Genesis 41, verse 14, Pharaoh called for this young boy, Joseph. He said, where is he? Where is he? He's down in the dungeon. He's in the prison. Get that prisoner out of the prison. I want him in the palace immediately. I need someone to interpret my dreams. You know what I love about God? God has stored up favor for you that no one else can take. God has stored up opportunities for you that not the smartest, not the greatest, not the best looking people could take those opportunities from you. Why? Because God has set those aside. He has reserved those seats, especially for you. I remember going on a mission trip when I was uh, 21 years old and I was with several young adults from our church and we went to Africa. But on the way to Africa, we had a lot of delays. Isn't that like life? You have delays. The good news is delays are not denials, right? Delays are just kind of those momentary uh, seasons where we have to wait for the dream to come to pass. We have to wait to get to the destination that we desire to get to. So on our way to Africa, we got delayed in London. Sounds like a great place to be delayed in. The only problem is London is really expensive and we didn't have any money in the budget to be delayed in London. And we were stuck there for three days. 
They started flying our team out in small groups, groups of five. They would find flights to Kenya, Nairobi, and, and so they would say, okay, we can take five. I was part of the last five to go. So here I'm watching my other friends. They're getting on planes. They're heading there. They're getting to the mission trip, and I'm just sitting there going, God, please, I just want to go to Africa. I saved up all my money, right? I was in college. I didn't have a job. I'd worked so hard, and I was thinking, God, I'm supposed to be in Africa right now, and but I had to keep that positive attitude. I had to not let bitterness set in. I had to not get frustrated. You might be laughing out there going, it's really not a bad deal to be stuck in London. But once again, I wasn't where I wanted to be. I was in a place I didn't have money for and trying to keep a positive attitude. Me and the, the four or five people that were left on the team, that last group of us to go, we were sitting in the airport and they kept switching us to different planes because the plane we were supposed to be on wasn't ready or had issues with it. So finally, after three days, they say, okay, we've got you on the right flight to Nairobi. You're gonna get there. We know you guys are missionaries from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're gonna get you to your destination. But they said this to us. They said, you guys have been some of the best attitudes to work with. We've had so many you know, wealthy people, business people coming in here yelling at us, angry at us. You guys haven't had that, that attitude towards us. And because of that, you guys were sitting in the back of the plane but we have reserved first class seats, the top of the first class, just for you. We've got the layback recliner seats, and this was a 10 hour flight. So the whole time I'm going, thank you, Jesus. Favor ain't fair. Come on, somebody. Like I was having a praise party in that airport, in Heathrow, London Airport. I was going, thank you, God. And they said, no, no, no. You guys had a good attitude. This is a reward for your attitude. Man, isn't that awesome? We got to sit in first class. Those business people were walking past us, shaking their heads. Who are these young kids sitting in first class? And we had these nice robes on, some slippers. We had a three-course meal, a steak right in front of us, all the movies we could choose from. It was awesome. I can only imagine what was going through Joseph's mind. Here he was sitting in a prison, in a dungeon cell with all these other cellmates and, and there's rats running around him. It's hot, it's musty. I mean, this is Egypt, so it's one of the hottest places on earth. And all of a sudden he goes, wait, did you guys just call my name? Did, did you guys hear they just called my name? And they say, Joseph, we're calling you from the prison to the palace. In one moment, God changed his environment. In one moment, God pulled him from the dungeon to the palace. God can do the same for you. In one moment, God can take that cancer away. In one moment, God can take away those divorce papers. In one moment, God can bring your child back to church. In one moment, God can bring the person of your dreams into your life. In one moment, that negative season that you've been walking through can be over, but you've got to stay faithful even when it hurts. Joseph had to stay faithful to God even when it seemed hopeless. He had to keep his trust in the Lord even though he didn't know the end of the story. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't know how this was going to end, but he knew that God would be faithful. And so in verse 14, it says that Joseph changed his clothes. He took a shower, shaved his face, and he got ready to walk into the palace. Now, most people, when they read that verse, they skip right past it and they go, oh, yeah, that's not a big deal. But the Bible is very interesting. Anytime there's details in a story, they want you to pause to think about those details, right? The writer wants you to know this was important. This was important what Joseph did here before he left the prison and stepped into the palace. 
He had to change his clothes. He had to shave his face. He had to uh, 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 take a shower. He had to get ready for where he was headed. In your life, God has new seasons for you. But those new seasons require you to change some of the things that you've been surrounded by. Maybe even friendships that at one time you were connected to and you kind of did things that they did, but God's been working in you. You no longer smoke those things. You no longer drink those drinks. You no longer hang with those people. You no longer do the stuff that you used to do. And God's saying, I'm calling you to a new season. You can still love those people, but it's time for you to step into the palace. You got to leave some relationships behind. Sometimes God's saying, you got to change your clothes, not your natural clothes, but spiritually. The Bible talks about that we would be clothed like Christ with humility, with love, with boldness, with righteousness, with faith, with confidence, with peace. Some of us are still wearing uh, uh, shoes of shame. Some of us are still wearing clothes of, of, of anger and fits of rage and envy and comparison and jealousy. And God's saying, you got to change like that won't fit in this next season. Joseph knew I'm going to have to leave some of this stuff behind. I can't wear my prison clothes when I'm stepping into the palace. I've got to put on a new robe. God's calling you forward. The next verse says that when he got into the palace, Pharaoh shared his dreams with Joseph. In Genesis 41, verse 15, Pharaoh said, listen, I need someone to interpret my dreams. Joseph said, I don't have the answers, but I know the one who does. Joseph was dependent upon God. How's your dependence on God? Do you think you can do this all by yourself? Do you think you're a self-made man? Like, I got myself here. I climbed to the top. I did it all by myself. My charisma, my skills, my talents, my money, right? See, I'm telling you, when we live like that and think like that, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. Joseph had to remind himself, I'm not the big shot here. Like, I'm not all that in a bag of chips, right? I'm really not the one who has the answers. I'm just connected to the one who has the answers. And that's good news. The Bible says apart from God, we can do nothing. But if we'll stay rooted in God, if we'll allow him to be our source and say, you know what, when I'm faced with situations that I don't understand or I'm asked questions that I don't have the answer to, rather than trying to study all the books and get it on my own, I'm going to seek God. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray because I know God has the answer. I want to remind you right now, those of you that are facing situations, questions, decisions that, that are maybe have to do with marriage or life or work or career choices, seek God's counsel. He has the answer for what you're looking for, but you've got to get in, in God's presence. You've got to spend time in prayer and worship saying, God, show me what to do here. Show me what the answer is. Sure enough, God showed Joseph the answer. And Joseph told Pharaoh, listen, our nation is about to go through one of the worst famines we've ever had. But before this famine happens, we're going to have seven great years of harvest. We're going to have so much food, we won't know what to do with it. So here's my suggestion. Instead of us just eating like kings and having all this food, let's put some stuff away. Let's prepare for the, the disaster that might be coming down the road. Let's be smart here. Let's be wise. Joseph said, I'm telling you, Pharaoh, you need to hire the best person, the best people that can put that food away and uh, uh, create the systems that are going to help people when we face that famine down the road. Pharaoh looked at Joseph in verse 37. He started talking to his officials. Can only imagine. Maybe he walked away from Joseph. He gets a huddle of all of his leaders and he says, guys, Joseph's made a good point here. We need to do this, and the best person to make it happen is Joseph. 
No one else can do this but him. Isn't it amazing that God had saved that position just for Joseph? All of a sudden, the puzzle was coming back together. The pieces were starting to make sense. It's awesome how Joseph decided, really, he refused to not give up. He decided to be committed to the cause that God had put on the inside of him. When I was on my honeymoon with my wife, I, I tried to surf. I know that sounds crazy, but I was out in the ocean and I rented this surfboard. I'd never surfed a day in my life. Like, I, I'm not a surfer. I'm an Okie from, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, right here. We don't have oceans here. And, and so I was out there and I was trying to learn how to surf. And I was talking to the other surfers out in the water. And I said, guys, what if there's sharks out here? And they were like, no worries, mate. You know, and I was like, what? No worries, mate. Like, what if there's a shark out here? And they're like, no, just stay in the water. Hang loose, bro. Stay in the water. And I was like, what? This is crazy. And then, and then I said, but, but how long does it take for me to catch a wave? And they said, man, it could take a long time, but you just got to stay in the water until your wave comes. And so I watched these guys and they were out there for like, not just 10 minutes, 20 minutes. Some of them were out there for hours waiting for the wave. And they said, once the wave comes, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. All the waiting is worth it. Sometimes you're sitting out there and you think it's going to be your wave. Right? You think, man, this is my wave, and all of a sudden it fizzles down. It doesn't even become a wave at all. It looks like it was going to be a wave, and then it, it crashes before it even gets to you. Other times it's a great wave, but someone comes right in front of you and cuts you off and surfs that wave, and you're kind of waiting and watching, and you're sitting there going, man, when's my wave going to come? The funny thing is my wave did come, and I wiped out like crazy but it was totally worth it. I'll never forget the experience of sitting out there and waiting for that big wave that I was gonna try out surfing. Later on, I was talking to those guys on the beach and you could just feel the passion. You could understand that they were committed to catching that wave, riding that wave, waiting for that wave to come. And I think the same thing goes for Joseph. He was committed to waiting for the dream to be fulfilled, no matter how long it took, no matter whose dreams beside him got fulfilled before his. He was convinced my dream will come to pass. My God is faithful. And when it does, I'm going to ride it. Man, I'm going to be there. I'm going to pre be prepared to do what I need to do. And Joseph was. The question is, are you? Are you preparing for where God's calling you to go? Are you making the most of the season you're in right now? Maybe you're in the prison. Maybe you feel like you've been there for a long time. Maybe you feel stuck right now. I think one of the best ways we get unstuck is to remember what Joseph did during this time. He served others. He helped others fulfill their dreams. He kept a positive spirit. He kept a positive attitude. He stayed excellent. Right, He started a prison ministry. He was ministering to other people. He was uh, uh, leading in the prison. He was organizing things while he was in that season. He was preparing his gift for the day that he would step into the palace. I want to invite you right now to pray a prayer with me. Just as Joseph stepped out of the prison and into the palace, he had a change of clothes. He had a, 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 even a change in his look. God wants to change you from the inside out. You know, it's amazing when you give your life to Jesus, 
Life doesn't get easier. It's not like circumstances go away. But your outlook is so much better. Your heart is in such a better condition. You're no longer plagued by fear and shame and anxiety and anger and what people did against you. You've given your heart to God. You've said, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm choosing to forgive people who've hurt me. I'm choosing to see the better uh, perspective, even in a negative environment. I'm choosing to hold on to hope. That's what Jesus does for us. When we confess him as our Lord and Savior, he literally from the inside out pulls us from a prison and into a palace. He pulls us out of a pit of despair and into a place of hope. God wants to do that in your life right now. Maybe you're watching and you've never let Jesus be Lord of your life. Maybe you did at one time follow God, know God, but you've walked away and you've gotten into sin or maybe you've gone back to some old things and you've stopped really allowing God to be Lord. I wanna invite all of us, those that are praying this for the first time, those that are praying this for a rededication moment and those that are here today who say, you know what, Paul, I wanna join in with my friends today and let's all pray this prayer and mean it with our hearts. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Say these words with me. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose from the dead so that I could spend eternity with you. God, I choose to trust you with my past, my present, and my future. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen.